The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me if you would in Revelation chapter 2. Now to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars, that's the pastors of these churches, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, those are the churches of this presbytery that he's writing to. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever. And by God's grace, may this word be preached for you. Please be seated. So why did I read that text? Well, that's a church. That's the mother church of this. the churches in this presbytery. It's the church at Ephesus. They're in Asia Minor. And it's a church that had been revitalized under the ministry of Timothy, now was under the ministry of the Apostle John, and needed to be revitalized again. And if our extra-biblical history is accurate, even Jesus' mother uh, is there with John, uh, who is taking care of her uh, in the context of um, anticipating uh, the, the the matters at the church at Ephesus. And by the time this arrives, years later, uh, the church is in need of revitalization again. And so the roadmap is given to them. Now, we use this constantly in our lampstand ministry. We have three tracks, the track of planting churches and coaching church planters uh, called igniting the flame of the lampstand. And then the ministry of church revitalization, which is uh, which is um, embers to a flame, and then there is the ministry of church acceleration, how to take a healthy church to the next level, and that is what we call fanning the flame. <clears throat> now, in the context of that, in the area of church revitalization, we have had this roadmap of remember, repent, and recover. Go back, if you would, to verse 4. If uh, he says this, he says, remember, and how do you address their shortcomings whereby he admonished them that they had left their first love? He says, number one, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, number two, repent. And then number three, do the first things, recover the first things. So I would, I, as I was trying to consider how to frame this moment in time, the blessings of the General Assembly, yet the work to be done. The blessings of this 
Supreme Court um, decision and opinion that's been issued that overturns Roe and overturns Casey. Both of those fabricated opinions that were not coming, that did not come from the Constitution. They came from the political aspirations of certain justices at the time. And they came from the political and cultural winds of the day that were blowing. In fact, when it was stated, the very one who gave the, the, uh, the opinion uh, that established Roe v. Wade had no real constitutional defense. There was an attempt to give it some standing in the 14th Amendment that really is not so designed and does not uh, do what, we, what was said, what it was claimed to have done, uh, to find some right to abort the preborn uh, in our Constitution. But in the midst of that and, uh, and um, the reality of that and the establishment of those uh, rulings, um, we have now been in a 49-year, I'll just go ahead and call it 50-year battle. Uh, this is a battle that uh, I know I as a Christian and then as a pastor. My pastoral ministry began as a student pastor in 1974. Um, this is a battle that um, I know I have faced and been engaged in now for 49 years. And I will confess to you, there have been many, many, many days that staying in the battle was just being done because it was the right thing. I didn't really have much hope that things would ever be legally reversed. And, um, but isn't God glorious and isn't God gracious? And isn't God uh, absolutely marvelous? I also, like Billy, marveled the day after we make that declaration of appeal to our uh, to our elected officials comes the uh, comes the reversal of Roe v. Wade. But the saint, the battle for the sanctity of life, and to try to start putting this in perspective, and then I want to walk you through this road map of how to take this moment, remember, repent, and recover the first things. The first thing I would uh, say to you is I, bi- I want us to look at this from a biblical world and life view, not a political one. I want you to look at the politics biblically. I want you to look at the cultural issues biblically. I want you to look at the ministry issues biblically, the relational issues biblically. Pastorally, that's my desire, which is why I wanted to at least take a moment to try to write out some thoughts and give them to you within this framework of remember, repent, so that we can respond to this moment rightly. We can be good stewards of this moment as Christians and as Briarwood Presbyterian Church, for which I thank the Lord, both the church in its evangelism and discipleship and its members who have been discipled have engaged this battle when many have fallen by the wayside over the 49 years. I'm grateful to our elders who have set the standard of not only what the battle must be, but also how it must be conducted. And I am grateful for that. But the issue of the sanctity of life did not arise with Roe v. Wade. That's not when it started. It did not begin then. The sanctity of life began in the garden. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. 
abortion, infanticide, homicide, active euthanasia. Those issues did not begin in 1973 with a faulty, contrived Supreme Court opinion that I'm grateful has been reversed for multiple reasons. No, that has been with us, and it will continue to be with us. He was a murderer from the beginning and will continue to do his work as a liar, a thief, and a murderer through the schemes and snares that he lays, through the unthinking and the absolute rebellious. He will continue to do that until he is cast headlong into the lake of fire. And there will be those who will aid and abet his work out of rebellion against God and the sin nature of man. Now this issue will be with us our whole Christian life until Jesus comes again. I am grateful for this respite. I am grateful for this moment. We live in a culture of insanity, absurdity, immorality, and lethality. And I'm grateful for this decision that in God's kind, common grace has put somewhat of a restraint. I am grateful that at least the preborn at this moment have no legal cover, have been given legal cover from those who would seek to destroy them in rebellion against God. I am grateful that it has now become illegal. I am even more grateful to be in a state that once this was done and once this court decision was made, we didn't have to pass a single law. It had already been passed in record time earlier. Now all the injunctions against it had to fall away. And I'm grateful for the leadership of many, including some in our own congregation, in the leadership of our state and their faithfulness. But folks, my heart, because I know the evil empire is going to strike back. I know that. My heart is that not simply that it would be illegal. My heart is that it would become unimaginable. That's my heart. But I think at this moment, while we remember, we'll also have to move to repentance. Because we have to ask ourselves, how, at least from my generation on, how did the unimaginable not only become imaginable, the unthinkable became thinkable, the undoable became doable, and the defense for that life is what became unimaginable in the culture. How did that get here under our watch? Well, I have a couple of thoughts about that. But the first thing I want to start with is this matter of remembering. 
Now, that's an amazing word in the Bible. It doesn't mean what you and I think of, men, you particularly. I know you're with me. Somewhere, somehow, hopefully like me, through two wonderful daughters, I am constantly reminded of certain things that I better remember, like a birthday for my lovely, wonderful, uh, incomparable wife, uh, which I've got memorized after 53 years, and um, our our um, our anniversary. But there are some other things as well that she expects me to remember, and other things that I ought to remember. It's not simply it's not simply keep in touch with the facts of life. No, remembering the Bible means a lot more than this. It means to take something and set it aside to a sacred position for the purpose of worship and instruction. Remember the Sabbath day. I have an opinion. I believe one of the markers of looking at the death spiral of our culture, you can go back to the loss of the sacred embrace of the Lord's Day by Christians. It just became another day. That, by the way, I ought to work in going to church today. I believe there's a direct relationship to that. I believe the Lord's Day is that collection of means of grace. And when it is not embraced out of priority, privilege, and purpose that we begin to lose something. Now, I'm going to really go out on a limb, but it's okay for me to do it here tonight because you're here tonight. I believe one of the markers of the loss of the Sabbath day began with the diminishing of Lord's Day evening worship. I've done a little bit of a study on this, and not enough that I would preach it from the pulpit, but but enough that I would comment on it from the pulpit, which I just did. I think those things are absolutely crucial. Remember the Sabbath. Remember it. Set it aside. Make it a sacred moment, a sacred engagement for the purpose of adoration and for the purpose of instruction. We know when we come to the sacrament, this same format is given to us, isn't it? What do you do at the Lord's Supper? At the Lord's Supper? Remember the body and blood of the Lord. Then what? Examine yourself. Repent. Then what? Preach the gospel until I come again. Recover the first things. Remember, repent, and recover. And and recover the first things. Remember the body where he bore our sins. Remember the blood that he freely gave, declaring not only his physical death, but dying that death that is due for all eternity in our place as he bore hell, our judgment on the cross. Remember. But interestingly, the New Testament Lord's Supper, the New Testament covenant meal, the Lord's Supper, remember, repent, and recover, that follows this paradigm that becomes a way of life for believers, remember, repent, and recover, 
You can also see all the way back in the Old Testament, in the, in the Old Covenant meal. What is the Old Covenant meal? It's the Passover. It is fulfilled in Christ, who is our Passover, and then he establishes this bloodless New Covenant meal. That covenant, that Passover, pointed to what he would do on the cross, and the New Covenant meal points back to what he has done on the cross. But note the same paradigm. Remember that I delivered you out of Egypt and out of slavery. Clean out the leaven. Repent of the sin. And take up your staff. Eat the meal in haste. Take up your staff then and follow me. Get back recalibrated, refreshed, and renewed to the basics. In fact, in Exodus chapter 13, this is something that I would apply. It is not a one-for-one, but I would apply it to this moment for us. And Moses said, O Israel, remember this day that the Lord your God delivered you from the bondage of slavery and the house of Egypt himself by his strong right hand. And that would be the very first thing that I would tell you. Remember and worship the Lord for a moment like we have experienced this last week. Remember and give him praise. Folks, just look at the things that surrounded this decision. How did this decision get into our place? I'm grateful for it. And I am praying that God is going to use this moment and the ice of sin would start cracking and the, and the frozen temperature of dead hearts dominating entire cultures would be broken. But the reality is, even with the face of persistent perseverance by many of God's people, humanly speaking, this thing shouldn't have happened. You do know in the last few years, abortions have been rising. This last year, one out of every five conceptions ended in an abortion. That's when you line up 20 kids in a classroom. Go ahead and pull five of them out. Or four of them out. When you look at a playing field, start removing one out of every five who were inconvenient, imperfect, or unwanted. We have a dominant culture of death. It wasn't like 1973. This is Justices who made a decision under the sovereign hand of God 
that is not in step with the culture, in fact, is reviled by the culture. So much that one of the things I'm remembering are these justices and their families and their safety. And I adjure you to do the same thing. I do not take their safety for granted. It's not that there was a culture wanting the sanity of the sanctity of life. On the, on the contrary, we have a culture that embraces with all of its resources available the insanity of a culture of death. This glorious statement that rightly honors a constitution that is there to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was made in the face. Now listen to me carefully. I really believe this. It was made in the face of cultural headwinds. It was not and is not a popular decision reflecting the movement of the culture. It was made against the headwinds of the culture. Humanly, this decision should not have been made. I believe it is a direct intervention of the sovereign hand of God. I am grateful again for every Christian, many of those sitting right here, who at various points in this battle for the sanctity of life, at various ministries, at various ways, all of you. I mean, I've stu- I have stood here every Sanctity of Life Sunday and seen 10 to 12 ministries. Most of them have been started by you that are taking this challenge on for the sanctity of life, and I praise God for it. And while that may be the majority report among us, it's not the majority report throughout the culture. Yet in the face of it, God brought this decision, even with leaks about it that would heighten pressure to stop it. That decision came forward. And I honor those who had the courage and the sanity of thought to make the decision and make it. And yet, where did we get them? But out of the context of a challenged president and presidency. You can only see the sovereign hand of God in that in the moment that Satan means evil, God has meant that which is good. All the culture shapers The academy, big education, big government, big business. I mean, I couldn't help as I read the promises of large corporations of how much money they're going to give to secure plane trips and support to kill the baby. I don't see them giving any money to support the life, only money to kill the life. Big business, big education, big government, the media, journalism, and then fifthly, the entertainment industry. All have been, are, and with a vengeance are going to be arrayed against this decision. Yet God brought it forth. Just that glimmer of sanity 
in the midst of the insanity and the absurdity and the lethality and the immorality. You must know that in a culture that is committed to sexual revolution of promiscuity and perversion, the sacrament of secularization in a secular and a sexual revolution is abortion. It has to be held on to at all cost. And this is not going away. The battle, if I may quote one of my favorite hymns, the battle is not done. It enters another phase. So I am grateful to take this moment, that day, and this decision, and remember the sovereign hand of God that intervened against the headwinds of culture using the courage and sanity of six justices to at least make the sanctity of life affirmed and abortion illegal. I thank God for it. I'm going to remember it. And there's a reason I want you to remember it. A very important reason I want you to remember it. I've been reading the papers. The Planned Parenthood clinics are closing. Now, folks, I'm, I do a program called Today in Perspective, and we've been dealing with Planned Parenthood clinics from a Christian world and life view for quite some time. And I'm, I'm constantly being sent information. Harry, don't you understand this is just women's health clinics? Abortion is only 3% of their business. Well, tell me why they're closing with the loss of 3% of their business. And quit telling me that the taking of the unborn life is an act of health providers. No, that's not what it is. Because children are not a disease. They are those who bear the image of God and are to be nurtured and affirmed. And those who are in the crisis moments of a pregnancy, then we are to come into their life. As so many of you have, and I've watched you do it in the privilege of serving the Lord here for 23 years. No, this decision... I'll honor the justices. I'll honor the president who put them into place, the three that turned the tide. But this is the Lord's doing. And we will not forget to remember the Lord. And we will honor what he has done. And if we do remember, it's a time of instruction for us. What is this telling us? What is it we need to do that a death culture is not only illegal in the assault upon the preborn and the true care that's to be given to women in crisis and the call to men to step forward to take care of the children that they father? What is it that we need to do 
Not just go from constitutional decision to constitutional decision. What is it that we ought to do as the body of Christ? You see, when Jesus came in that incarnate body, he came as the Messiah, prophet, priest, and king, right? Right, good. Prophet, priest, and king. Right, and amen can go there, right there. Then we as the body of Christ are to reflect him as we fulfill the great commission and establish a culture of the great commandment to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. The culture within the body of Christ. A culture where we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Our neighbors, ourselves, beginning with one another. And as God calls us to engage in that, then we need to... We need to bear the testimony of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. That means the church in the public square must speak public theology to power. We must speak truth in love to power in the public square, to big business, big government, big media, big education. All of those things that say they're the culture shapers. That we must speak truth as believers, and believers can't do that unless the church is doing its work of evangelism and discipleship. If the church is doing its work of evangelism and discipleship, then Christians can step into the public arena as salt to retard sin and as light to transform sinners. Therefore, I believe we led to repentance. Let me tell you what we can't do. We must not say, this culture's in trouble. Here are the five culture shapers Pastor Reader signed, uh, signed, uh, told us about. We're going to replace them, and the church's mission is to be a culture shaper. That's not our mission. Our mission is to make disciples of this nation through evangelism and discipleship. Men and women who love to worship. Men and women who will share their faith with others. Men and women who are growing in small group discipleship. Men and women who are multiplying themselves and maturing others. Men and women that know how to live in a marriage, that know how to live in godly singleness, that know how to live in a family. That's what we do. The culture shaping will be the consequence, not the mission. I actually believe it was our dabbling in one church growth that caused us to abandon the gospel that won't put people in the seats. So we wouldn't deal. I mean, where are the series on hell? Where is the series that shows that sin and its sinfulness. Where is that in the evangelical church today? Not, not there because the goal of gathered worship on Sunday became how many numbers do we get in? 
Well, Harry, don't you want people to come to Christ? Of course I want people to come to Christ. But as I see the Bible, people come to Christ not by getting into a building where we're meeting, but when we leave the worship service, going after them in the highways and the byways and bringing them into our homes. Certainly, I promise you, I plead with you, bring people here on Sundays that don't know Jesus. I promise it'll be on the top shelf, it'll be on the middle shelf, it'll be on the bottom shelf, and I'll take it off the shelf and give them the gospel. I promise that. I want that. I long for that. But that's not the purpose of our assembly. Our purpose of our assembly is not believer-centered or seeker-centered, but God-centered. And that's what will doxologically do evangelism. But the key is not in the gathered assembly. It's in those who scatter from the assembly with the gospel everywhere in life. That's what I think we need to repent of. And one more, our prayerlessness. Our prayerlessness. Folks, I wished a program would solve it. But prayerlessness will will never be cured until we are convinced that we are unable to do what God has called us to do without Him. And prayerlessness will not diminish until we become convinced that the people out there can't come to Christ. We don't have the ability to take Christ to them, and they don't have the ability to come to Christ. Until we get convinced of those two things, we're not going to pray. We're just going to look for another program. And finally, until God's glory and the salvation of the lost and the testimony of Christ's church to this world becomes an intolerable burden, we won't pray. We will not pray. So we need to repent of being off, me- off mission, off message, off ministry. Worship, entertainment. We've lost the worship ministry. Evangelism, salesmanship. We've lost calling people by the gospel to a living personal relationship with Christ. Discipleship, coaching therapy. No, discipleship is much more than that. The life-on-life relationships established in a small group. We need to get back to those basics that God has called us to. In other words, our repentance leads us to recover the first things. So remember, I am not going to throw any wet blanket on this day. My goodness, what a glorious day it was. I just couldn't contain. I'm having a hard time now containing myself emotionally. For my own life, the length of the battle. I can't imagine some of you and churches and ministries. You're talking about the headwinds of culture. Look at the headwinds of the evangelical church. In my own denomination, a poll was just established that 57% believed that abortion should be allowed. In my denomination. Probably the most, at least, well, I can't say the most faithful, but it's pretty good. And it needs a lot of work. 
And then I look around for all of the evangelicals for life that I heard about. And I look for their comments. I don't find them. Here's what I do find. Well, of course this is good. But what about, and then they describe a child that has this problem or a family or a, 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 a one who is pregnant that has that problem. Listen, when those problems come, here comes, we want to provide medical assistance. Listen, the day of the crisis pregnancy center, the Save a Life Clinic is not over. It's expanding. It's expanding. The day of adoption agencies is not over. Praise God for Lifeline. It needs to expand in this day more than ever. The day of our foster care ministry has got to expand. The day of responding to the woman in crisis, challenging the man who's absent, working on the legal issues to bring men back into the equation, and their presence and their responsibility, all of that is yet before us. But I will praise God for this day. And I know it is the hand of the Lord that has brought us from a legalized death culture of the most defenseless. And now the church has the great challenge To not only remember, but to repent wherever we need to and give God our full commitment to get back on mission, on message, and in ministry. Do you see the sovereign hand of God in this? Let me just show you one thing. One thing. In 1973, when that decision was made, the evangelical church, the Protestant church was all over the place. I mean, there were those who said, well, hey, don't worry about it. A person's not a person until they take a breath. And then came this, and then came that, and all of these discussions. It took us about five to seven years to get our theology straight on this. We hadn't been thinking about it. This made us think through a theology of life. And then, secondly, secondly, then we had to think through how to respond. You know, here are people running around throwing Molotov cocktails into abortion clinics and this and that and the other. And it took us a while to be able to say, no, 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 no. This is, here is the way we present. Here is the way we defend the faith without being defensive and contend for the faith without being contentious. Here is the way in word and deed. Here's the public square. Here's the private ministry. Here's how we do it. Here's the efforts to save the, uh, the sanctity of life. Here's the efforts to save each life individually, by, child by child. It took us a while to work through that. But God has brought maturity in our apologetic and in our ministry. And then look at the ministries that came out of it. I mean, I love my dear brother Wales Gobe. Can I tell you all one time? We were, told to, we were called to a Bible study to speak. Wales was supposed to speak, then I was supposed to speak. And when I got through, and I was supposed to speak on what is a pastor. You know the passage he gave some as evangelists, pastors and teachers. You know that text? Well, he was supposed to talk about what's an evangelist, and I was supposed to talk about what is a pastor teacher. And when it got my turn, and after Wales had done his, I said, well, I can tell you the difference right now. I'm a pastor teacher because there's no way that I could grow that head of hair 
that Wales Goble has. He has the hair of an evangelist. In fact, he looks like Billy Graham. He looks just like him. He is amazing. But boy, what a heart for the lost. But it didn't stop there, did it? And here comes the sex education curriculum for the public schools. And then here comes Save a Life Clinic. And then here comes Lifeline. And now standing up here as lawyers for life and doctors for life and nurses for life. And up there every week are women knitting things to give to the mothers and the children. And there, I, I, all of these ministry after ministry, I can't name them all right now, but just look at what this moment caused us to do that we probably, humanly speaking, wouldn't have done. God, you, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. And there's one of the good things. We have ministries now and they don't need to go away because the murderer is not going away. And then we got to take this to another level and being on mission, on message and in ministry so that the legal battle becomes a statement by us evangelizing and disciples, people who know how to worship God, evangelize the lost, love one another, and grow deep in their faith. And that then thrusts people out in society who are salt and light so that the culture of death might become unimaginable. That's what I believe God has called us to. That's where I believe we are. In fact, i got two minutes. Here it is. I believe we are at the moment of a reform, of a, of a gospel resurgence, particularly in the reformed church. I believe we're at that moment. I believe we're at the moment that's one of my favorite minds, and it's what I'm praying for. From being at General Assembly, from conversations, I just sense maybe Aslan is on the move. The Lion of Judah. And a gospel-driven awakening instead of this secular awakening. A gospel-driven, sacred, Christ-exalting, spirit-filled, Bible-preaching, gospel-sharing. All of us will turn into Andrews just trying to find people to bring to Jesus. And all of us will turn into the woman at the well who has called to love and serve and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And all of us will give ourselves and devote ourselves to the doctrine and discipleship. The evil empire will and is going to strike back. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. You can expect I'm, this administration is going to bring economic pressure. I believe legal pressure. I believe law enforcement pressure, if possible. And I believe is going to try to legalize uh, infanticide. I believe that. And I believe the culture shapers are going to get right in line because it's financially profitable. 
That's why I want to remember this day. When we have to deal with the gospel deeds of love and mercy and justice and the gospel words to save the souls of men and women in an LGBTQAI tsunami cultural movement, in the evil empire striking back, trying to reestablish a death culture, I want to remember this day when the Lord against the headwinds of the culture sent a breath of air to make the holocaust upon the preborn illegal now I pray by a gospel movement and resurgence it will become unimaginable And I pray this in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the moments to be with our brothers and sisters. Uh, There's so many things that need to be covered at a time like this. But thank you that we can repent of our being off mission, off message, getting sidetracked. Uh, Thank you, Father, that we can repent of prayerlessness. Thank you, O God, we can repent of lethargy and apathy. Thank you that we can now be engaged and you have encouraged us in this day. Lord, I thank you that you tell us to make moments of this. Just as when you used Joshua and you brought him through the Jordan River and you piled up the stones and said, Remember what I did and bring your children back here and tell them. So we will remember your deeds this day and in the days to come. As we enter in, not a culture war, but a spiritual war for the souls of men and women. And the culture is just another opportunity to declare the victories of grace. God, give us a great commitment to being a great commission church. We're not standing on the sidelines. We're not looking on We want to be engaged. And then, Father, may the world see your people and how they love one another and how they love the lost. Give us a great commandment culture within the church to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind and our neighbors as ourselves, beginning with one another. And then, Father... I know personally this lesson is so important. In the days of adversity, help us keep a thick skin so that we do not develop a thick heart. Don't let us have thin skin with a thick heart. Help us to have a thin heart and the necessary thick skin. In fact, for God, I pray that we would see adversity against us as a divine benediction as you use our adversaries to provide a benediction. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil. So we don't, are not silenced, we're not shamed into silence, and we don't retreat. 
On the contrary, the adversities are simply you using the adversaries to do in us and upon us what we could never do for ourselves. O oh God, our God, sovereign hand, may it be seen and felt through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.